You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 23. Up Late in Memphis. From the Journal of James Penrose, Tennessee, July 3rd. Pines and Butler were upstairs in their respective baths, leaving me alone downstairs with Rebecca. I had been flashing through the readable details of this woman in my head. Government agent trusted, in fact, supremely trusted for this mission. Double-barreled shotgun on the dresser next to a worn leather knapsack, coupled with a husky, suggesting self-sufficiency and an affinity for the outdoors. Almost certainly the source of her codename, which appears also to be a play on her surname. Connotations of lone expertise, as well as pack leader. Assertive under pressure, unruffled by Abigail's petulant rudeness, consummate professional, accustomed to not forcing the issue. I admired her greatly already. She had slid the first cup of tea towards me, propping a graham cracker up on the side. I nibbled on it and recognised a similar taste and consistency to digestive biscuits, something I hadn't had with tea since I was a child. My mind was cast back and I had a little trouble keeping my face serene. Ah, were you in England when all of this began? I asked, composing myself. For a time, yes. You know that stiff upper lip of ours is a double-edged sword. She settled her brown eyes upon me. It allowed us to weather the worst, but also... I suspect we let our stubborn refusal to look facts in the face blind us to the oncoming danger. They come from the same source. Did you lose many? All of them. Me too. I'm very sorry to hear that. I have nobody but... Rafe. I found I didn't need to respond to this. Usually I would have nervously continued the conversation, but as we stood in the still kitchen regarding one another, something of an understanding was beginning to form. I perched myself on one of the tall stools, leaning on the countertop with one elbow, and found with curious gratitude that she was mirroring me. Butler and Pines returned after a time, extolling the virtues of the copper bathtubs fit for a president. Now more relaxed, the four of us talked for hours through supper, planning the journey tomorrow and agreeing that after the riverboat portal was closed, we should proceed on without delay to the southern door. The men finally retired to their beds, and Rebecca and I remained upon one of the couches, the candlelight glowing around us. Rafe upon the floor, dozing soundly. She told me about the man he was named for, and of her sister, her aunt, and one terrible night in Cornwall. Feeling the weight of what was being presented to me, I told her about my parents, of Weirwood, of Abigail, even of Lucy, and how that turned out. She listened intently, so I went on to our first meeting with Annie and Butler and the bizarre occurrences at the House of Versteckt. You know, that literally means hidden. Yes, my translator Sophia told me, I admitted. Or secret. She added and inclined her head. I figured that was a little on the nose. We had drawn significantly closer to one another in the last hour. So, can I see it? She asked, pointing at the eye patch. 
I don't usually take it off. It's fairly alarming. I'm hard to shock. Sarah told me about how it looked, back in April before I left Washington. You were there? I was at the Gillum Mansion Ball. Senator McPherson needed shadowing. I wish I'd introduced myself now. You looked very dashing. Did you know Sarah well? Oh, I was her favourite, darling. The very best. She tossed her head, using the movement to wipe away a tear. I miss her too. She was a very great woman. I hope we see her luck again. You're distracting me from your versteckt eye. Go on. You can take it off. Gingerly, I slid my finger under the band and freed my head from its confines, rubbing my eye and blinking before settling my chin on my hand so she could study me. She gazed into the starlight and sipped her peppermint tea. It's quite beautiful. Thank you. I let the eye patch rest in my lap and took my hand off it. The silence stretched out, languid, appealing, undemanding, yet provocative. Where do you live? Nowhere. I'm always on the road. It's better for me that way. I don't have a home either. It used to be Weirwood, but it feels like a lifetime now since I walked away from those doors. Some people do best settling into a place they can work all day, then go home to a box and sleep. And others may not find a home within four walls. Not during these years. Perhaps, when the war's over. Can you make out your future? Rafe nudged his head up into my hand as I gently scratched behind his ears. When you focus on it, are there details that stand out? Time is moving fast. She replied, her voice low and thoughtful. I don't see myself old, but maybe there's a moment of stability and peace. A place for me to reflect. Where the coming years feel safe. She nodded, then laid a hand on mine as the candles flickered. Her skin on her fingertips felt warm. It's late. She breathed. Would you like me to show you to my bedroom? I hadn't misheard. Suddenly it felt like the most natural, appropriate act in the world. Yes. Rebecca. We sat upon the bed, and I slid the jacket from my shoulders, watching him mirror me. Three feelings were vying for dominance within my frame as layers of clothing were shed. First came a questioning of myself for initiating something so intimate so swiftly. Rationality suggested that my position did not afford me either the time or the luxury of routine to conduct a courtship. But this was beyond rationality and the questioning only went so far to explain the second feeling, a compulsion I was experiencing in my body and soul to be close to him exceptionally close to the point where you couldn't slip a playing card between the two of us I needed this one was it his way of speaking 
the sense of the familiar, how much he fascinated me, the glimpses of his mind he'd allowed, or was it simply that he reminded me of that first intense feeling of romantic love? I held on to him as his shirt fell away. His lips were upon my neck. I gave myself over. As we moved, awkward moments arose. Clothing got stuck. Parts of us slipped. He chuckled. I did too. This shared reaction not only smoothed out those obtuse edges, it made them crisp, desirable points of connection. I guided him inside. He told me how he felt. I did the same. This was his first time. That came as a delightful shock for the unshockable. I felt him trembling and gazed into both of his eyes since that patch had not been replaced. I felt at once lost in starlight and yet found. And when we lay together afterwards, that third feeling, which had been lurking in the periphery, crept forwards to present itself. Was this fleeting? It began with certainty that what I was touching right now could not last, but as we lay, the nature of that question developed in my mind until the counterpoint naturally arose. Why not? I had forged my present upon the foundations of my past. My determination smelted in the fires of that evening long ago. I knew very little that was a reliable constant. My dog. My role. And the call of the road. I had made a decision to walk away from somebody before and regretted it. This one had that familiar taste. We held one another quietly in the dark. No longer alone, if only for a short while. has been one of the best nights I can remember. It was fun to spend time outside, even though the amount of people around us made me kind of nervous. Abigail and Annie and Raven were there, and, and I felt like nothing was gonna hurt me. But Abigail's wanting to go and and make love to working girls and 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 boys kind of kind of got me thinking. It felt it felt a little painful inside, as as I knew I definitely wanted her for myself. But the blueprints in my head, when I looked at the girls in the diamond bell, made me feel all tingly at the same time. So I was grateful when Abigail decided against it. 
We make our way through the darkened house, and she calls out, her voice a little slurred. Mr. Butler, where are you at? I'm up here. He replies from one of the bedrooms, which Annie then heads towards. Get some sleep, y'all. Did y'all have fun? Yes, we did. (laughs) I blurt out as Annie steps through the door and wearily waves us goodnight. Raven enters through another doorway, wordlessly, his eyes heavy, and closes it behind him. Pines! Abigail hollers. Which one is my room? There's a groaning from Jeremy behind the door to our left. Ugh. I think the one beside me is empty. Sorry! Shh! You were sleeping, weren't you? It's midnight. Shh! James! There is silence. James! Then a ruffled series of movements and, and Penrose comes to one of the doors holding it only a quarter open. He's stripped to the waist. Where's Agent Wolf? With me. Get some sleep, Abigail. We have a big day tomorrow. He closes the door and... and she stands rooted to the spot. I react first, checking the room Pines has suggested which is indeed empty and furnished with a comfortable-looking four-poster bed. Come on, I whisper. A sudden, fluttery shiver has ensnared my whole body. I take her hand and lead her into the bedroom, lighting the candles in there. Her face is blank, but I can tell she's... Angry over James doing things with with this new agent lady. Abigail must have felt like he was hers. I think back on his... Probably not. When I asked if he thought they would ever get married. This seems clear, but a difficult road nonetheless. Then I begin to doubt myself. I want this. I want her. Badly. But, but is it the wrong time? I can feel myself going to the edges of that place in my head to study the details and and make myself myself pull pull away from the situation. Are you okay? I ask. Dumbly. Of course she isn't. Of course she isn't. But she has to know that this, this is my true priority. I'm... I don't know. Abigail breathes as I close the door. Very tired? No. Too much coffee. Wishing you'd stayed at the Diamond Bell. Yeah, kinda. Angry? Yes. I move in and hold her. This is a first for me. The only people I've ever hugged when they are sad angry have been my family but now now I feel Abigail's body give against mine and I cannot help the fact that the shuddering excitement is coming back in a big way 
I want her to be happy. I want her to be happy. I will have to wait for any further advances I make. I won't. I will just put her to bed. Like, like I've been put to bed myself a thousand times. That is the right thing to do now. Abigail leans back. Are you scared, Harry? No. You're shaking like a leaf. I'm just... And her gorgeous green eye is looking me up and down. And before I know how the process has even begun, I've leaned forward and our lips touch. She blinks in surprise. Harry, what are you doing? I'm sorry. I back away, holding myself. Definitely the wrong time. I'm a fool. Sorry. You... You don't want this for me at the moment. Oh, oh, actually, I liked it, she says, adjusting her stance. Really? Right now? Yes, right now. I really liked it. She insists, her voice a little deeper. She steps forward. Her hands are on my hips, and I draw close again. Wrapping my arms around her neck. I didn't know you were in the girls, is all. Oh, oh, I, I really am, I confirm. I'm feeling her against me again. The touch of her mouth, how soft those lips were, those arms encircling me. Being told how to love another woman by Tabitha. Wondering every night since then the specifics of what she and Abigail had gotten up to. Absolutely everything about this slotted into place like calculus. We kiss again, and this time it is a lot more passionate. I experiment with employing my tongue, and things just get better. Her armored coat slips to the floor, and I run my hands through her red hair as she pulls her hat off. Do you know what you're doing? She asks as we sink down into the bed together. The schematics of the female body run across my mind, the highlighted areas flashing through quickly. Stacking up a list of actions into optimal order, her thumbs brush against the tender insides of my elbows, and a powerful tingle arcs up my spine. Tabitha never detailed that. I set the blueprints aside and elect to perform what feels right. Do I know what I'm doing? Do I know what I'm doing? I do now. I murmur, kicking my boots off. been listening to episode 23 of Steamheart, Up Late in Memphis, 
written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Harriet Arlington and Annie Oakley, performed by Loretta Saylor. Abigail Gray and Rebecca Wolverton, performed by Sharon Shaw. James Penrose, performed by Alex Shaw. Jeremy Pines, performed by Matt Wardle. And Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lee. Where the West Begins, composed by Ferenc Hegedus of Shockwave Sound. Immersed, Pam Gaia, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you to Abel Savard, Aaron Lecluse, Benjamin Biddle, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Dan Mayer, Dave Hickman, Duran Barnett, Finn Barnicol, Jameis Enright, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Otero, Lorraine Chisholm, Luke Hatfield, Mark Lush, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Haskell, Nick Ord, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, and Tom Painter. While they lay luxuriating in the copper bathtubs upstairs, Jeremy and Frank comfortably enjoyed a convivial conversation. Both were missing their partners, but more than that, they missed the sense of permanence and stability that being in their own houses offered. However, these bathing facilities allowed the two men to relax and let their minds drift for the first time in many long weeks. Jeremy told Frank about the time he investigated a unicorn sighting, and Frank told Jeremy about a strange town he had visited once, where nobody was permitted to look another person in the eye. Eventually, as glasses of fine whiskey got employed, Butler taught Jeremy a Chinese drinking song about a crab, employing increasingly complex rounds of rock-paper-scissors. Butler lost 